now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning, church. And isn't it an amazing thing that regardless if you are on the highest of highs, the mountaintop high of life, or if you're in the deepest valley that you've ever found yourself in, God is still worthy of our worship. He is still worthy of our praise because regardless of what we're going through, he is unchanging. He never changes. He is perfect. He never changes. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so regardless of where you are, regardless of what you walked in here, weighing you down this morning, know that he is good. He is good and he loves you and he wants you and he pursues you with everything he's got. Man, I'm excited about what God has already done in this place this morning. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tommy. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here on staff at Charity, and I am really excited that over the next couple of weeks, I get to dig into God's word with you because Pastor Marty and a group from Charity are over in the Holy Land right now. How cool is that, all right? I'm a little bit jealous. Actually, I'm a lot jealous. But I said, you know what? If I can't be in the Holy Land, there's no place I'd rather be than in a room full of a bunch of misfits that make up this beautiful family known as Charity. And so I'm excited about the message. This is something kind of cool over in the Holy Land. A couple of the people that went with Pastor Marty have not yet gone public with their faith. Like we just celebrated the bakers and the uh, daddios this morning. That was amazing. And so a couple of the people with Marty are actually getting baptized in the Jordan River. That's really cool. Yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, here's the thing. Y'all have heard me talk time and time and time again about how much I want to be a part of the praise team here at Charity. I have auditioned so many times up on this stage. I have auditioned so many times during the week. Sean in my office is side by side. And yet, not only is God unchanging, Sean's response to my request is unchanging. And so I said, you know what? If I can't be a part of the praise team, then I am just going to teach on worship the next two weeks, if y'all recall that. And I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that you're a worshiper, that you and I were created to worship. Every single one of us is worshiping something. And I believe it's pretty easy to identify what it is that we worship. If you just examine your life and you think about what gets the most of your attention, the most of your time, the most of your energy, and even your resources, it's fairly easy to identify what or who you worship. And I know that when I say the word worship in the context of church, typically the average person immediately jumps to the time that we just had the praise and worship, the singing about who God is and all he's done for us. That's what we typically think of when we think of worship. But my goal over the next two weeks is to let us all understand worship is way more than a few minutes that we sing together. And so whether Sean likes it or not, I'm part of the worship team. (laughs) Just saying, all right? 
But it's so much more than that. And then I started thinking, though, about like charity and how we express ourselves. And, you know, this, I would say that charity is a relatively expressive church. We are what I would call a hand-raising church. And so maybe your only experience is charity. Maybe you come from a background from an expressive church. And so when you walked into charity for the first time, or this is where you were raised, you're like, oh, this is awesome. Got a bunch of crazy people just like me who like expressing themselves. But maybe that's not your experience. Maybe your background is either no church at all or a very traditional church where you do not raise your hands under any circumstances. And so I was just curious what we're working with here. So anybody come from a background from an expressive church where, man, like you walked in here and it was completely normal? Are you like expressing yourself? Awesome. About 20 of you. So um, last, last uh, Sunday night, night of worship, that was awesome. It was like 100% participation. Everybody was just expressing themselves. All right, so that was that answer. So what if your background is either no church at all or traditional church, and so expressing yourself in church is really not your thing? Show of hands for that. The math is not adding up. It's like 25 of you raised your hands that you're expressive, which should have left hundreds of people not. But I, I give you grace because you don't know how to raise your hand. I'm like, raise your hand if that's you. And you're like, I'm trying. Gosh, it won't work, right? But listen, you're in luck. You're in luck because today I'm going to give us a quick lesson. And, and studying for this message, I forgot all about this amazing teacher. There is an amazing teacher out there. Some of you are familiar with him. Some of you are not. I encourage you to look him up. But it's a guy by the name of Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins does an amazing job of teaching people how to be expressive in church, how you can go about being a hand raiser. And so if you're not from a background of expressing yourself, I encourage you to take out your pen, take some notes, because we're going to have a quick lesson. And Tim really encourages that you guys start slow. So hands in pockets, right? Hands in pockets, thumbs out. And the key here is all you want to do is a little elbow flap. Little elbow flap. So the key is to start slow. All we're trying to do right now is get the blood going. All we're doing is get the blood going. And it's really kind of easy when you progress through the motions. All you do is just you gradually work your way up. So from here, it's very easy. Next, you've got hold the TV. Hold the TV. Big screen, big screen, right? Very easy. Any fishermen in the room from the TV, you can just simply go, my fish was this big. My fish was this big. Or if you're a liar, it was this big. And it's okay, even if you're a liar, right? God loves you. He's full of grace. It's all good. From here, it's very easy. You go to hold my baby. Now, I think that when you're holding the baby, a little hip motion, close the eyes, it really gets you in the moment. But hold my baby. And then when the music really hits, you get feeling kind of froggy, you just go to dueling light bulbs, dueling light bulbs, right? That's when you know we're out of control. From here, we got goalpost, goalpost. And from goalpost, you can bring it down to heartburn, heartburn. Double heartburn, back to goalpost. All kinds of combos you can do with that, right? Tim's personal favorite is Mufasa, Mufasa, right? It's the circle of life. Still no. Okay. All right. Well, you might be wondering, can you go higher? You can. And what he instructs, again, baby steps. You want to start with just one hand, one hand. And with one hand, you can do all kinds of different things. You got pointer, hatchet, high five. Pointer, hatchet, high five. Right? From here, you might have noticed some ladies like to take it from here and go into washing the window. 
washing, they like to wash the window. But here's the thing, every move so far has all been JV level, JV level. But once you've mastered those moves, you're ready to move into the big leagues. You're ready to go to varsity level, right? Three moves, combo, village people, Rocky, touchdown. Village people, Rocky, touchdown. Are we good? Everybody know? So at the end of this service, there are no excuses. It is going to be the most expressive worship ever. I'm excited. Are you excited? All right, let's actually dig into God's word. So here's the deal. Worship is so much more than that. So much more than that, as we'll discover today. But I have a simple definition of what worship is. Worship is simply our response to God for who he is and all that he has done for us. Worship is our response to God for who he is and all that he has done for us. And I would take it a step further and say, and all that he is yet to do. All he's yet to do. Our main text today is found in the letter known as Romans. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Church of Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, if you want to turn there. If you don't know who Paul is, Paul is an amazing man of God, but he hasn't always been an amazing man of God in the way you and I think about it. Paul used to be referred to as Saul, and he was definitely a religious zealot. And he spent his life persecuting those of us who would have called ourselves Christians, Jesus followers. He was a Pharisee. He was a chief among Pharisees, and he used to spend his life going after Christians, persecuting them, arresting them, beating them, and even in some cases having them killed until one day Saul had a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. His life did a 180. He became Paul, and he lived the rest of his life pointing people to the good news of who Jesus is. And Paul ended up writing almost half of what we know as the New Testament. And Paul writes this. His life has been radically changed. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So a couple of things here at the beginning. First of all, Paul is writing to those of us who would call ourselves Christians. When he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. When he says brothers, he's referring to people in the faith brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus. That's who he's speaking to. And then he uses a very important word in scripture. He says, therefore, and I know I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Anytime you're reading scripture and you come across the word therefore, it's important that you stop and you see what it's there for, right? And in this case, Paul is talking about everything that he has written in the first 11 chapters of Romans, the grace of God, his undeserved gift, the mercies of God, him withholding what we deserve, the fact that you and I can be justified, which means to be made right with God through Jesus Christ, the fact that we have eternal life and hope in Christ. Basically, the first 11 chapters of Romans is Paul presenting the gospel. And so the first thing we need to understand about worship is this. 
Worship is a response. Worship is a response. He's saying, in view of everything I've said to you in the first 11 chapters, and just to give you a quick rundown and what's in the first 11 chapters, it's him presenting the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of you have probably heard of something called the Romans Road. Romans Road is a tool that many times we use to point people to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and hopes of salvation. The Romans Road is all found, these scriptures are all found in the first 11 chapters of Romans. So kind of a 30,000 foot flyover. If you wanna present the gospel to somebody, you can do it using this tool. The first thing is for there to be good news, we need to understand that there is bad news. The bad news is this, found in Romans chapter three. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's bad news. You see, God has a standard. And God's standard is perfection. God is holy, which means set apart. His standard's perfection, and if you're like me, you've probably blown that already today. And he says that all, and it doesn't matter what language you look in, the original text that he's talking, all means all. You, me, and everybody who's ever lived has sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Good news, but we are justified, that means to be made right, by his grace, an undeserved gift, but he gives it anyway, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Is that good news, friends? That is good news. Many times you'll present that truth to somebody and they'll be like, that sounds good. I'd like to receive justification, the redemption of Jesus Christ, but I think I need to clean my act up first. That's the wrong way to look at it, friends. You and I could never clean our act up enough to be in the presence of a holy God. All right, and that's not what he's looking for. Paul goes on and he says in Romans 5, 8, this is a beautiful verse. He says, but God, he shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. In the midst of our mess, that's when Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. While we were still sinners. So many people think that they've got to clean their act up. One of the things I love, Grant and Fisher tell the students all the time, God is not looking for behavior modification. He is looking for heart transformation. You allow him to get a hold of your heart, and he transforms your heart. The natural byproduct of that is behavior modification, not the other way around. So while we were still sinners, he, he died for us, and that's good news because there's a penalty for our sins. Paul goes on and he says in Romans 6, for the wages of sin... A wage has to be paid for us breaking that relationship with God, and the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift, the grace of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, is that good news this morning? He, he tells us the result of that. He says that there is now, in Romans 8, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is good news. There is no condemnation. I have a conversation with people all the time who, who have given their lives to Christ, and they're like, Tommy, why do I still feel so bad when I sin? And I'm like, that's a good thing. But that's, they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling condemned. I'm like, that is not condemnation. That's conviction. Conviction is a gift from God. When we sin and we go against God, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. So that the result of that, we should feel terrible about what we did we should turn to God in repentance and start going his way again. A heart change. 
Condemnation is no longer for those who are in Christ. Maybe this morning in a room full, this many people, there are people in this room right now who have never taken that step of faith. I am convinced of that. And maybe today, for the very first time in your life, that's made sense to you. That in and of yourselves, you have sinned against the holy God, that there is nothing you can do to be made right with God on your own, but yet God loves you so much that while you were still a sinner, that's when Christ died for you. I I urge you, let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the greatest day of your life where you step from death to life and you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. If that's where you are today, Paul tells you how to do that. In Romans 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which is what we celebrate on Easter Sunday, the difference in Christianity and any other religion in the world is our God is alive. He died on the cross for us. He was buried, but on the third day in all his glory, he triumphed over death. And he walked out of the grave. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, friends, he says, you will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the case that Paul lays out in the first 11 chapters. And then Paul does something beautiful for every single one of us. He kind of puts this, this cap on the first 11 chapters in what's known as a doxology, a public proclamation of praise for who God is and all he's done. In the very last chapter or very last verse in chapter 11, Paul writes this. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's a beautiful verse right there. I believe that verse right there answers two questions that every single human being who has ever lived asks themselves. That is, how did I get here and why in the world am I here? How did I get here and why in the world am I even here? We answers, you got here from him. The psalmist writes that you and I were beautifully and wonderfully made, that he knit us together in our mother's womb. You and I are here from him. And so please hear me this morning. You are not a mistake. He created you exactly how he wants you to be. Stop trying to be like somebody else. He gave you a certain skill set that he didn't give the person next to you. And he gave the person next to you a certain skill set that he didn't give you. He put you together exactly how he wants you to be. And so many people, students, there are so many lies right now. People are like, your life has no value. Your life has no meaning. Don't believe that lie. That is a lie from the, the pit of hell. Your life has immense meaning. You were here for him to bring glory and honor and praise and worship to him. I can't think of a greater value than that. So you were here from him and you were here for him. That's good news. And Paul says that in view of all that, 
only rational thing should be worship. That should be our only response is to worship him for that. I actually love how the King James says it. It says that it's your reasonable service, meaning it's really the only logical response. And that's so important. You know, so often science or atheists, they're like, ah, y'all are weird. I'll tell you, I'll give y'all faith. I'll keep logic. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Uh, I'm going to take faith and I'm going to take logic as well. Because in view of who he is and all he's done for us, the only logical response is worship. So worship is a response. The second thing is worship is a lifestyle. Worship is a lifestyle. We'll talk about more of that next week. But Paul is saying this is a lifestyle. We see this in the second half of verse 1 where Paul really introduces this brand new idea when he says that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Can you imagine if you're the audience that he's talking to back then and he says that? This is a brand new concept because they were very familiar with sacrifice. Sacrifice was all through the Old Testament. They were familiar with that. But sacrifices had something in common. Sacrifices were dead. Right? You'd kill the animal, the priest would present the animal, the shedding of the blood, it would atone for the sins. Sacrifices are dead. Paul's saying that you and I are supposed to be living sacrifices, and there's something funny about a living sacrifice. You put something alive up on the altar, you know what happens? It tries desperately to get off the altar. It gets kind of squirmy, just like you and I would be to which I would encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Grant's message about a month ago where he was talking about count the cost. What does it mean to truly follow Jesus? Because if we don't truly count the cost, what happens is we get squirmy up on the altar and we try our best to get off the altar. And so when he's talking about being a living sacrifice, this was a brand new concept. You see, there were a couple different ways of sacrifice in the Old Testament. There was a sacrifice of atonement. That's what I was talking about, where they would present an animal, the blood would be shed, the priest would present the animal for atonement for sins. Well, that kind of sacrifice is no longer around because Jesus became the perfect and the permanent, the once and for all perfect sacrifice for you and for me, for every single person who has ever lived by the shedding of his blood. He became the perfect and permanent sacrifice. But there's also a sacrifice of praise. And a sacrifice of praise is still very much alive today. God loves the sacrifice of our praise. Jesus told us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And Paul's saying, yes, but give him everything because it's easy for us to find little loopholes. He's saying, no, no, no. Give him everything. God, you can have my entire life, my entire body, so you can have my heart, soul, and mind. But God, I tell you what, when I'm going through my life, God, I want you to have my eyes. God, I want for my eyes and the things that I choose to watch on TV, on the computer, when I'm by myself, when I'm with friends, God, I want for the things that my eyes view to bring glory, honor, and worship to you. He's saying, God, you can have my ears. And when I'm driving down the road all by myself and I'm listening to whatever I want to, God, I want the things that I choose to put in my ears to bring glory and honor and worship and praise to you. And this is a hard one, but God, I even, I want to give you my mouth. 
God, I want the words that come out of my mouth. God, the words that come out of my mouth when I'm on a golf trip with just the boys and the wives aren't around and we're cut loose and having fun, even in those moments, God, I want for those words to bring glory and honor and praise and worship to you. God, you can have all of me. Paul's saying, give your body, all of you, as a living sacrifice to him. In view of who he is and all he's done for us, it's the only logical thing to do. And then finally, we see that worship is transformative. Worship is transformative. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's so cool what Paul does here. He uses two very different words. And it would have been very much like Paul to use the same word. He could have said, do not conform to the patterns of this world, rather conform to the things of Christ. But that's not what Paul does. He uses very two different words. The first one is conform. Sakimatizo, I believe is how you pronounce it in the Greek. And it means to be molded according to a pattern. He's saying, don't do this. But can I tell you something? We do this all the time. To, to mold yourself to someone or something else. You see this all around you. You, you see a celebrity that you social media stalk, or you see somebody you know in the way they live their lives. And you're like, I want my life to look like their life. And so they, have, they paint this perfect picture of themselves on social media. So next thing you know, you're buying the kind of car they're driving. You're buying the kind of house they're. You see how they dress their kids, and you're dressing your kids that way, and you're like, okay, I believe I finally got it, but then something else catches your attention, and you start molding your life the way they look, and before long, you're chasing so many different things, you've forgotten who you even are deep down. We do it all the time. I'm guilty of this. I was really guilty of this as a little kid, and I was into all kinds of different things. That right there, can I just say, man, that is one cute kid, all right? As one cute kid. But I was into all kinds of different things. I loved playing cowboys and Indians. Man, forget it. Cowboys and Indians, Lone Ranger, Tonto, you name it. Man, I was into it. I'm not exactly sure what kind of vest that was, back to the village people kind of vest, but I mean, uh, this is an Atlanta Braves pullover right here. I love sports, and I don't know exactly what's going on with the whole NC State thing. I asked my parents, I'm like, why am I wearing NC State? Like, clearly I was still walking in the darkness, right? The scales had not been removed from my eyes, but praise Jesus, one day he removed those scales and I said, red is not God's favorite color. Carolina blue is God's favorite color. Can I get a witness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. see, we were all created to worship something. Y'all stepped into that one. But anyway, I had my, my police belt on. I was ready to play cops and robbers. My dad was a police officer, and I love police officers. Even to this day, I was ready for that. I promise if that picture kept going, that I was probably wearing some, like, Spider-Man undies. Man, I was in to superheroes. I was ready to save the world. And there's a good chance I was probably wearing some cleats. So whether we were playing cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers, baseball, football, basketball, I was your guy. Probably the same day you would have seen me looking something like this, like Farmer Joe. Man, the word on the street was that the ladies find your tractor sexy, 
Man, they wrote a song about that. I'm like, mom, dad, the ladies think your tractor's sexy. You need to hook your boy up with a tractor. You notice I'm wearing an NC State hat again? Like, what, what, what was going on? But anyway, so, and that's cute if you're a little kid. That's not so cute if that's what your life actually looks like, where you're trying to be a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. And so Paul's saying, don't try to conform to the patterns of this world, but rather be transformed. And the word transformed in the original language is the word metamorpho. Now, you probably recognize that word, and it means a marked change in appearance, character, condition, or function. We recognize that word because that's where we get our word metamorphosis. And when you think of metamorphosis, you probably think about a butterfly or a caterpillar to a butterfly, right? The caterpillar climbs into its cocoon, and it comes out something completely different. Paul's saying, this is what, if you're a Christ follower, your life should look like. And this is why I love Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. You haven't conformed to something. You've been made into something brand new. You've been transformed. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a beautiful thing. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your life has been marked by being made something completely new. And this is so cool. That word transformed is only used a few times in the entire New Testament. It's used in the Gospels when it talks about Jesus going up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he reveals his deity to them. And the transfiguration, that's the same word, when Jesus reveals his entire full glory to them. It's used here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul says, don't conform, but be transformed. And you get transformed by digging into his word. And the more you and I dig into his word, the more he reveals himself to us. His word is alive and powerful, it says. It's the only book that every time you open it, the author is right there with you. And you get to know what his character is and what he looks like. And he, he begins to mark your life. And he uses it one other time in 2 Corinthians, right into the church of Corinth, chapter 3. He says, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. He's talking about a couple of things. One, he's talking about the veil that was put over Moses. When Moses went up on the mountain and God revealed himself to him and presented the law to Moses. Moses came off the mountain when he had been in the presence of the glory of God. He came off the mountain and God's glory was shining off of him so much so it freaked the people out and they put a veil over Moses' face. And also in the temple, in the temple there was another veil. There was a veil that would separate people like you and people like me from going into the innermost room, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. But it says, only through Jesus is it taken away. Only through Jesus is that veil taken away. When Jesus was on the cross and he gave his life for you and me, it says that that curtain, that veil in the temple was ripped top to bottom, bottom to top, and it was removed so that people like you and people like me have direct access to the Holy of Holies. We have direct access to the glory of God. 
It says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's good news, friends. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, here's that word, the only other time it's used, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Knowing that, how could our response be anything other than worship? He's saying, friends, the more you renew your mind in Christ, the more you get to know his character, the more your life's gonna be marked by him. And what that means is that veil has been removed. You and I have direct access to God and his glory. And so that when we stare into a mirror, we don't see our old, ugly, sinful self staring back. We see more of him and his glory. And when we leave here and we go to work Monday through Friday, nine to five, or we go out to the clubs with our friends or to a game or wherever we go, we're not presenting our old sinful nature to this world. We're presenting him and his glory. That's what's shining off of us. We have direct access to him. That is good news. That should lead every one of us to worship. And so Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for all you've done for us and all you've yet to do. God, I pray that you will open up the eyes of our heart, as Paul writes, to see you for who you really are, to thank you for all you've done. And God, not just for this time right here to be a time of worship, but God, for our lives to be a time of worship so that when we present ourselves to the world as your ambassadors, as we go into all the world and share the gospel, what people see is not a broken person, but they see more of you. What they see is so attractive that they say, I don't know what is different about you, but I want to know what it is and I want to know how to get it. And God, that you will open up doors to be able to point people to the one who saves, the one who has a name and whose name is Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise you in your name.